Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Long Shot Podcast, brought to you by 342 Productions. I'm your host, Duncan Robinson, and I am here with Davis Patrick Reed. Davis, how are we feeling? We're coming off the flu game episode. The people are, are deeply invested on your well-being. I appreciate that from the people. I feel a lot better. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. There's still a little raspiness, I think. But I'll tell you what, I feel 110%. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I, I do sense a little bit of raspiness. I actually have a little bit of that myself. Uh, you know, just been been getting real uh, real strong with the communication lately during my workouts. You know, just yeah. really trying to, to bring it vocally. Uh, so I've felt the repercussions of that. But, you know, just another part of sacrificing to win a championship, trying to bring off-season, sorry, in-season intensity to an off-season workout. That's all you can do. I respect that you're doing that. I've also... Uh, because I've been battling a voice issue the last couple of weeks, it's amazing now that uh, we do this weekly, there's a lot of emphasis on having a good voice. It makes me respect like artists, performers who are going out and singing nightly. How do they never lose a voice? It doesn't make sense to me. Are they just constantly drinking hot tea and having throat lozenges? Like I just don't get it. They're taking elite care of their vocal cords. Well, I think the, the simple solution is that you need to lock into a voice routine. I've seen ah. it. I've I've read about it. I've heard about it. I think you need to dial up, uh, you know, just a, a solid voice routine that you know consists of tea, warm water, honey, you know, mm. things like that. Maybe uh, some salt water. You're supposed to like bubble some salt water in, in the back of your throat. I've heard that's good for your your vocal cords. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, these are things that we can look into. We have these types of resources. It's just going to take another level of uh, dedication on your end to really take this to another level. Cause you're right. One episode where your voice is a little raspy is okay. But if it starts bleeding into episode two and three, now right. we got a problem. It's unacceptable. It's borderline unacceptable. I think maybe we can start working in some vocal warmups before our episodes too. You know, me, 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 the human torch was denied a bank loan, you know, right. just like practicing some different things that get things stimulated, which, which might be nice. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly something we could look into. Open to suggestions on that as well. But uh, you know, this is episode thirty. We talked about trying to do a mailbag about every ten. I'll be honest with you, Dave. I feel like the Longshot Podcast is hotter than a pistol right now. Just white Ooh. hot. We have a great thing going. We got some great in-person content. We're mixing it up in the content game. We put out a little short video. More where that came from, but. We wanted to keep the good times rolling. We felt like a post-free agency, middle of the off-season, mailbag update was really just going to be dialing into our community. And uh, yeah, we, we, we just felt inclined to, to run with this one. We also just like doing these, you know? I, these are one, these are some of my favorite episodes because you and I just get to chop it up. We always have people submit good questions. So it doesn't take a lot of work for us. You know, the people do the work, which is nice. I think it's good in the community that we share the labor every once in a while. So they're sending us their good questions and then we just sit down and we get to answer them. It's a good time. Well, I, I just, I, I want to jump on that because I don't want to start pushing the narrative that this podcast is running away from work. No, no, no. We're I just want to clarify. I just want to clarify. This podcast was built on work. Oh, nothing, no, and nothing, nothing works unless you do. 
You know what I mean? Like we're, we're talking, you know, straight out of the gutter, out of the mud. Uh, yeah, I say 100%. out of the mud and I come from a, a you know, fantastic place in, in middle America, um, you know, suburbs of Boston, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, beautiful uh, town nestled right there along the 12 miles of New Hampshire's coastline. So when I say mud, I mean the metaphorical mud of, yeah. you know, having to get something when nothing is handed to you. <laughs> but hey, it's also, you ever heard the saying, it takes a village? You know, sometimes I think it's important to remember this is a community. We're going to do this thing together. We're passing Rogan together, Duncan. That's not happening with just you and me. We got to do this as a community. So what we're doing is we're just sharing the work. We're not running from the work. Yeah, this is a good time to kind of fill everybody in on that that passing Rogan joke. Uh, every Thursday night or Friday morning, I text Davis, have we passed Rogan yet? <laughs> and I do it because obviously Rogan is the number one podcaster in America, or at least I, I think he is. Uh, he's our white whale. That he's who we're going after. Yeah. And uh, you know, I've done it thirty Fridays in a row. Just hit yeah. him with the "Have we passed Rogan yet?" Haven't gotten an answer, a positive answer just yet. <laughs> but you know what? It's like chopping down a tree. You never know when the next blow is going to be the final blow. A hundred percent. Yeah, we haven't got a positive answer yet, but we're going. Look, Rome wasn't built in a day, my man. We're passing Rogue. I don't know when. It could be in three weeks. It could be in three years. It could be in 20 years. Who knows? But it's also, it's also important to note that this podcast isn't monetarily driven. This podcast oh, is about no. you know classic Joshua Medcalf, chop wood, carry water. <laughs> Every week we show up, we're chopping wood, and we're carrying water. Uh, and this is just another week of that. You know 100%. what I mean? It's, it's, it's nothing other than we're, we're showing up with our steel boots on and our hard hats on. Now, you, you bring up a good point. Our number one goal isn't to pass Rogan. Our number one goal is to continue to build this community with our people. But passing Rogan is just something that we are going to strive to do as well. I will also say that uh, you very, uh, maybe maybe not in the most wise choice of your of your life, you also left your corporate America job about eight months ago. So a goal of mine has also been to somehow justify that, that <laughs> transition for you. Uh, so that's also a goal that I have of this podcast. As much as it is about the people, it's also about... Uh, proving to a good friend of mine that I didn't throw his entire career and livelihood in the gutter. And <laughs> I think we're record, well on our way. I think we're well on our way. For the record, I made that decision. So you have nothing to uphold on that end. Yeah, I just figured, look, if we're going to do this thing, let's dive head first. I'm going to leave it at that. We've had a lot of people, actually, because it's a mailbag episode, a lot of people ask that question, what did Davis do before? Or what is Davis currently doing outside of the podcast? The answer to that second question is nothing. Uh, the answer to the first question, though, I'm going to keep vague. I think the mystique is important. I'm going to keep it vague. We might tackle that question one day, but for now, I'm going to keep it vague. Just know that I had a good corporate America job. I enjoyed it. Uh, studied neuroscience and behavior, as we talked about in this podcast, and uh, was working in that space, and I was having a good time. But then my friend approached me and said, you want to do a podcast? I said, absolutely. And if we're going to do this thing, we're doing it 110%. You know, one of my favorite things about what you just said is that you're now doing this podcast and only this podcast. And it's just a classic burn the boats, two feet in, all in mentality of, you know, we're, we're going to make this work. We got to make this work. 
let me let me quickly clarify. I'm not only doing the podcast. I'm also sort of a stay-at-home dad right now because Casey is going to school. She's grinding to get a master's degree, and we just got a puppy. So I'm now responsible for a life. And let me tell you about a life change. Holy cow. Perspective shifts a little bit when you're all of a sudden responsible for a life. And this is just a dog. This isn't even a baby. Uh, so I'm going to add that to my current profession, stay-at-home dog dad. Yeah, I also want it to be known. Um, so how this... We're gonna we're gonna you know peel back the curtain of the podcast a little bit. We're the mailbag's you, coming. At I know, some point. but before we get to that, I, I just want to provide some insight. So basically, we came into this podcast through JJ Reddick, obviously, but the initial communication was through myself and JJ and Tommy and Kylie, and then I threw out the idea of look, if I'm gonna do this, I want to do this with Davis. I, I've told this part of the story before. Now. Because of that, Davis was kind of like an addendum to the original agreement between yeah, us. It's true. Now, as a result, you have kind of gotten lost in the shuffle <laughs> from a financial perspective. And just recently, Davis received uh, his first paycheck from the podcast. And That's true. You know, you talk about gratifying moments. It, it was almost like I don't have a son. I don't pretend to have a son. But if I did have a son, you know, seeing him get his first paycheck Stop. at a summer job uh, is, I imagine, a well-earned paycheck, mind you, a pretty special feeling. While I appreciate the sentiment there, please don't ever refer to me as your son again. I did not appreciate that. Uh, yeah, no, that was nice. Try getting married uh, and not having income. At the that's just that's tough. That's well, hold tough. on. You had income coming. It was just a matter of of <laughs> when, uh, which is still you know I, I could see that adding some stress and anxiety. Anyways, we'll stay out of your pockets. Let's uh, yeah geez. stop with the pocket watching and just keep it moving here. Uh, just just for you people back at home, I just want you to know Davis is is going to be well taken care of. Um, <laughs> but Dave, let's let's get to the mailbag. Uh, what do we got? We're now, what, what was that, 10 minutes in? We haven't even tackled a mailbag question yet. That was not planned. This is a perfect segue, though, because we're talking about payment. And Papa Hampy asked, it'd be, they, they asked if you would break down how NBA players actually get paid. And you know, now that you have signed a contract, I think you are qualified to talk about this. Although I don't know if you've seen any results of that contract yet. Yeah, I'll start with saying I haven't seen a penny of my new contract, um, and I will not until October 1st at the earliest. Now, the new contract pay schedule kicks in actually on November 15th. So as players, we get, we're on a 12-month pay schedule. So football, for example, they get game checks. They get weekly game checks based off of when they're playing, when they're not. Uh, the NBA and the Players Association uh, collectively bargained that we could be on a 12-month pay schedule we get paid every two weeks now you have heard maybe occasionally particularly when the, the pandemic happened there was this headline about all of rich paul's clients saw all of their money earlier so you have the option to negotiate a six-month pay schedule as well and rich paul has always done that for his clients it's it's kind of like a classic you know for all you uh, economists out there a time value of money which is that money now is always better than money later but the vast majority of players are on a 12-month pay schedule. And I actually prefer it to be a 12-month pay schedule because it helps you budget significantly easier because you know what's coming in every two weeks. Uh, and on top of that, when, even when you're not playing in the offseason, you don't have to float off of your in-season game checks. You're still getting checks in the offseason. But I also want to point one other thing about getting paid. Obviously, we make an, an, an exorbitant amount of money 
I think it's justifiable, maybe like that guy in the video uh, a couple weeks ago, that we shouldn't make this money. Uh, I guess you could turn around and say it's capitalism. I don't know. Anyways, my point being is that your paychecks are so look so much different than maybe what you think they would look like. There are so many little fees uh, that get taken out. You know, something for example is that ten percent. In, normal, in a normal year, 10% of every paycheck is taken out and held in escrow by the league. Now, this year, because we're still recovering from COVID, I believe it's 15%. And last year at times, it was 20%. So that's that's your post-tax income that is getting taken out 15%. So when you look at it that way, that's also your taxes of, depending on where you're playing, somewhere between 30 and, and in some cases, 44, 48%, particularly in like a, in a California. Um, so when you look at it, it's like, okay, make it simple. Player X is making $10 million. He's really walking away with closer to five. Um, so it, it, it disappears quickly and that doesn't even include like player association fees or agent fees or all the other fees, you know, the, the health insurance, all these things that are just getting taken out, um, of your, your paychecks. Now that's not to say that we don't get paid plenty of money because we do, but when you see player X makes $10 million a year, it's not like he's walking around with $10 million in his bank account. The other, uh, I think fascinating thing about the NBA pay structure is you guys have to pay taxes in every state that you play in. So yeah, playing in Florida is a lot better than playing in California because you don't have that tax on your home games, but you're still paying taxes on half the season in each state that you go play in, which has to make things incredibly complicated. You know, most of you guys have financial advisors and people that are helping you with that stuff. But I mean, it's just, that's a world that I, you know, certainly could not handle on my own. Yeah, I mean, you want to be with a CPA that understands what it's like to work with a professional athlete because you're right. There's all sorts of uh, little kind of caveats that that go into, uh, or I should say, come out of your paycheck. Uh, another one, for example, that that you know people love to talk about amongst the league is that when you go play in Memphis, they have what's called an entertainer's tax. So immediately, twenty five hundred dollars is taken out of your paycheck. It's a flat fixed fee, and they did it because a lot of entertainers would come into Memphis, Elvis, all those those types of people, and perform. And the city wanted a way to like kind of have their hand in that. And basketball players fall into performing. So, you know, for example, when I was a uh, rookie on a two way, I I did the math. I actually lost money by going to play a game <laughs> in Memphis, which was like wild because my my game check or my my daily check of being in Memphis subtracting taxes and then also subtracting the 2500 uh entertainers fee i walked away losing money by playing that game which is kind of funny to think about i'll tell you what that is sacrifice we talk about sacrifice that's sacrifice yeah like hold up everybody you don't have to pay me to play this game i'm gonna pay you to play in this game <laughs> you know what i mean it's just that that next level of uh you know sacrifice a theme of this this episode has become sacrifice it really has all right our next question comes from isaac nb who asks did you have a point in your career when you realized how good you really are when was that which is a great question because they're also complimenting you which is beautiful no i i appreciate the uh, the compliment isaac it is a good question i i think there are a handful of kind of turning points in my career and each of them kind of happened at 
different stages. A memorable one for sure was at Michigan. We went to play NC State in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. At this point, I think we were like 3-1 and one or 4-1. and one. Wasn't quite sure if we were good yet, but we had beaten Texas and beaten some other pretty good teams. Um, so, I, you know, we thought we kind of had a chance. And at this point, I was coming off the bench. And, uh, you know, I remember watching NC State like on TV growing up as a kid. Uh, they had some really good players and were always good in the the, uh, the ACC. And I came off the bench and I had like 17 points in a win, like a big road win. It's always hard. It's hard to win on the road at any level, but I think particularly in college because of the atmosphere. And uh, I was talking to our video guy after the game and we were walking on the bus. And like I made some comment. I don't even remember what it was. And he turned to me. He goes, hey, just so you know, like you're a really good player. And I, and I like, it kind of like hit me for a second. I was like, Oh, thank you, man. Like, uh, that means a lot. He goes, it's like, no, like I thought you were pretty good. Like when we got you, like I thought you maybe had a chance to help us, but like, you're really good. And, uh, <laughs> that just kind of stuck with me. Wilver Gola was the guy he's in now on staff at Butler. Uh, actually the other reason why it meant a lot is because Will is like an incredible basketball mind. Uh, and I've maintained that position on him for a while since he was our video coordinator when I first met him. Um, but yeah, that was like big to, to hear that type of validation from somebody who I really respected. And then also like, I always say like confidence compounds. So when you start to experience success, then all of a sudden you, you start to kind of have more confidence and more juice and more swagger, and it just begins to grow exponentially. So, I mean, there were points throughout my, my G League career when I was like, yeah, like nobody on, nobody around here can fuck with me. And like, obviously that's like, that's like the wrong mentality to have, but it's also like, so the right mentality to have, like the G League in particular is like such a, you know, jungle. It's like, you know, survival of the fittest, who's going to come out on top. And by like middle of the season, I think I was averaging like low twenties and shooting like 47% from three. And I was just like, yeah, like I'm, I'm good for 20 tonight. Like, you know, whatever, which is like, once again, not, it's like this weird juxtaposition of like, you need to No, no, no. That's the right mentality. (laughs) I stand by that. That's the right mentality. It's this weird juxtaposition of like, you need to be over yourself and understand that you're in the fucking G league for a reason. You haven't done shit, but at the same time you have to be like, like nobody at this level can fuck with me. And I thought I actually, in hindsight, there were moments, you know, where you always slip up, but like, I thought in hindsight, I actually like did a pretty good job of walking that line. And that's a huge credit to the head coach at the time or the whole coaching staff, uh, Nevada Smith, Kasib Powell, Connor Erickson, um, all of them were just like always in my ear. Uh, and Brian Langton, I almost forgot Brian Langton. He's fantastic as well. Uh, just telling me like, no, you're the guy, go be the guy. I love that. All right. Next question is actually in a similar breath, uh, comes from Gillo is life. And they ask, when did Duncan take the biggest leap in his shooting ability? I'm, I'm curious of what you think of this Davis. I'm going to kind of shoot this one back at you as, as like a bystander and somebody who's watched a lot of my career. I want some of your insight. I think from my opinion, it was your G league year, your two way year. You started taking shots that were just so much more difficult you're shooting it at a much higher rate, off the move, uh, off balance. At Michigan, you did so much standing in the corner and just kind of catch and shooting. They ran some action for you as well, but not nearly as much as the G League. So not only did you shoot it a lot better, you shot what, like 47% from three? I think it was 48, but, but yeah, you know, we're splitting hairs at that point. 47, 48%. It was elite. Uh, and you led the 
entire G League in threes by like 100 or something crazy. So the stats spoke for themselves, but also just the way you were getting them was different than anything I'd seen before. No, that's a good take. Um, I think it was, it, I'm kind of taking your answer, but looking at it in a little bit different way. It was when I got linked on with the Heat. And, uh, you know, I was just telling somebody this the other day. I give the Heat a ton of credit because I sat in so many pre-draft workout interviews and I listened to front office people, coaches, whatever, tell me, okay, so like you can really shoot. That box is checked. But like what else can you do on an NBA floor? And they would actually ask me that. And the Heat, they, they took a different approach to it. They said, you have a unique skill, the ability to shoot. Let's take that skill and take it from elite to world-class. Because you look around the league, there's only five or six, seven guys who are like flying off of actions and, and shooting runaway shots. And they kind of understood the value of that, especially if somebody who can do that at six, eight. I kind of knew coming into the league that I wasn't going to be a three and D player, mostly because my defense wasn't at that time good enough to be a three and D player. <laughs> if I was going to be on the floor, it was going to be. This guy just causes ridiculous stress and anxiety on defenses. He can never be left, and if he get one gets one off, then we're done. And the Heat developed that skill. They saw that vision. They saw that picture of what I needed to be, and they just like molded me into it. And it started between the ears. They really kind of cultivated this mentality of you need to be ridiculously aggressive. Spo used to say it all the time. He's like, let me draw you back. Like, go take crazy shots, and then I'll dial you back. Don't worry about dialing back. I remember your first, that two-way year, your first year, or maybe it was right at the end of that year, going into the next. You hadn't shot it well at the NBA level, but at, at the G League, obviously, like we just said, it was ridiculous. But the NBA level, it was like 28% or something. And then to start the next season in preseason, it was rough with the Heat as well. But Spo came out and he was like, Duncan's the best player or best shooter in the world. best shoot, One of the best shooters I've ever seen. So it just goes to, we've talked a lot about on this podcast about situation and how much that dictates things. And so I think just to have a coach that's instilling that confidence in you, and you've talked about this at length, but it's just remarkable that he's coming out and saying, look, be patient with this guy because what I see every day is like nothing I've ever seen before. Yeah, I mean, I I owe a lot to him. Um, we don't need to beat a dead horse on that because I've given him so much credit and the organization so much credit and the entire staff. Um, but you're exactly right. I mean, the idea of taking an undrafted rookie and telling him to – just let it fly every time he touches it. There was a great moment in a film session, uh, preseason game in San Antonio. We uh, we lost our, our preseason opener. This is my it was my first game in a Heat uniform. So like outside of summer league preseason game, we lose. The next day we go to Charlotte. We're watching film in Charlotte in between the two games, and this is in front of the whole team. I passed up a shot in the corner. I drove it, and it wasn't like a wide open shot. It was like going to be a contested three, but I could have got it off. I pass up a shot in the corner. I drive it baseline. I, I kick it out, swing, swing, turnover, whatever. He stops the film session and he goes, Duncan, we didn't bring you here to drive baseline. We didn't, we didn't bring you here to kick the ball out because we brought you here to shoot threes. He goes, you need to shoot that three. And like ever since that, it was just another example of like, all right, like this is who I got to be. That's amazing. It actually reminds me of, I just saw this quote yesterday 
of there was a Warriors game where they were up three with like 20 seconds left and Clay shot a three and yeah. and, Dray- and Draymond got on him and he's like, they pay me to shoot. It's like, that's what, that's what I'm going to do. So that's the mindset I think, I think you need to adopt. This is a perfect segue because a question that I'm excited about that astronaut 14 asks, which is just a pretty awesome username. They ask, when is the first time coach Spo called you out so bad and why? So we get some stories of coach Spo uh, hyping you up. How about the opposite? Sometimes that he called you out. Um, I mean, there are obviously, obviously ones in training camp where he would yell at me for pump faking and make me run sprints on the side if I pump faked, but probably the first like real, uh, you know, kind of like chewing out, um, was in a preseason game my first year against New Orleans and I was guarding Darius Miller on like a classic, just like away pin down to the corner and, uh, Miritich was setting it. And I like, at this point, it's so funny because like I knew how to guard those and I, and I still do, but like at this point, you know, I'm like a rookie and my mind's moving a million miles an hour. I, like, I can't even like think or process like, all right, you need, either, you need to either like lock and trail, shoot the gap, lock and trail, stay outside shoulder and not get screened. I do neither. I just kind of like, am like this like amoeba blob, like kind of attached to him. And I just get crushed on a screen. Darius Miller comes off and, and makes a three. Immediate timeout. Mind you, this is a preseason game. So like a lot of stuff will, you know, young guy will let it slide. No, immediate timeout. Come over. I know I fucked up he just lays into me and for great reason. And the whole message was like, you need to change your entire disposition on the defensive end. And he was, he like slammed a clipboard in a preseason game. And I I realize now it's like, it's not about winning the preseason game. It was about like establishing a mentality of like, no, like that's not acceptable. And if you want to wear this Jersey, you can't do that. So that was one that was like, definitely like eye-opening to me and I like sheepishly like went back onto the court and like you know balled up my fist and was like all right that shit's not gonna happen again um yes and then it probably did a few more times (laughs) until I actually like learned how to like kind of navigate uh you know through screens or whatever but there's one more that (laughs) that is another fantastic one which is kind of like the opposite and this was in the bubble against the Celtics uh in the playoff series and Jalen Brown was guarding me and I'd already hit two like in the first quarter and I come off and I like pass up a three that Jalen was like right on me for. Like it would have been a heave, but like one that I'm, I guess, expected to take and I pass it off and we like drive, shoot and miss. And I'm running back on the sideline next to the, the coaching staff, like on the bench. And Spo is just laying into me about how I'm like, you know, hiding and then I'm, I'm, I, you know, I don't want to shoot it and I'm scared. Like, and this is kind of like a thing that we've developed back and forth of like, he gets on me and like, that's how I want to be coached. Like I, I want to get yelled at because it taps me into a different place. And I just remember Jalen Brown, like, just like looking over me like, yo, like, why is he yelling at you like that? <laughs> and I just like, I was just like straight face, like. Cause this is what the fuck it is. Like this is what I need. Like this is what it's about. Um, so like we, Spo and I have developed a great rapport in terms of like what it takes to get my best. Um, and those are two kind of different and unique examples of it. I love that. And I think it says a lot about your ability to take criticism, which is, which is really important. All right. Next question I'm going to take for myself, uh, because I'm selfish as, as we've talked about on this podcast. So Micah Foster asked for Davis, 
is Duncan the toughest person you've ever had to guard? And this is a, the, the short answer is no, absolutely not. Uh, but there's a caveat. You know, we've, pl- we've played some one-on-one in the last year. And yeah, today he's the toughest player I've ever had to guard. But that, this doesn't count because I'm out of shape. I don't play anymore. And he's at the peak of his career. So I don't think that's a fair comparison. I mean, hold on, Dave. Well, well let me let me just there's say a that long, real quick. There's a long history of you not being able to guard me. Let's not act like this is just in the last four or five years. There, there's, this is well documented that you can't but, hold me. But when I was playing and we would guard each other, you weren't a problem. Now it's different. You couldn't guard me then, and you certainly can't guard me now. So what's changed? You're 6'8", and you can shoot it pretty well, so you're always a tough matchup, but you're not the toughest person I've ever had to guard. That goes to Marcus Page, and it's really not that close because playing him in AAU, so we grew up in Iowa, playing for him uh, in a, or playing against him in AAU was a nightmare because I've never been that athletic, uh, never been a good defender, not something I'm known for. Our games were not very similar, Duncan, you and me, but they were similar in the fact that I pretty much just stayed three-point line to three-point line. Um, I was It was more just out of a fear of going in the lane, though. It's kind of your job not to go in the lane. I was just scared to. Um, and defensively, it was not my strong suit. So having to guard Marcus Page as like a 16, 17-year-old when you know he, he was already the guy who was going to North Carolina, uh, I certainly was not it still gives me nightmares just thinking about what he did to me on a basketball court. I feel like I've seen you at your peak from an athletic standpoint. And to say that you're unathletic, I think is unfair. I think it's selling yourself short. Compared to a 16-year-old a Davis Reed, compared to a 16-year-old Marcus Page, we're drastically different human beings. That's fair enough. I will say Marcus was a problem uh, in Iowa coming up and had a really, really good career at UNC national championship. Um, but yeah, big, big time player for sure. Did he win a national championship? Maybe he didn't. Did no, they he lose? didn't. They lost to Villanova. He hit that big time three. That's right. They to lost. send it to overtime. And then Chris and Jenkins at the game winner, one of the greatest championship games ever. And then UNC won it the next year after he was gone. Correct. All right. That, that checks out. Um, I mean, yeah, it's a quality question. I, I think the answer is yes. I, I think you saying it's otherwise is misleading, but you know, nonetheless, I digress. What do we got? A- absolutely not. But this takes me to a question that we got from multiple people. Uh, I'm talking like 10 to 15 people asked, when are we getting a game of horse or one-on-one between you two? It's on the horizon. That's yeah, all I, I have say, to say. Yeah. To that, on that note, just stay tuned. We got some uh, festivities coming up here in New Hampshire. Um, my beautiful sister is getting married finally after pushing it a year. And Davis somehow finagled his way an invite. Um, I shouldn't say finagled. You're, you're a valued. Yeah, hold on now. Uh, you're a valued friend of the Robinson family. But uh, yeah, we, we've had some ideas of you know, messing around with some, some content uh, on the court this weekend. And uh, we look forward to, to sharing it all with you. Yes, we absolutely do. Um, this next one I, I wanted to get into, Duncan, with you. This comes from Jomo Santos, and they asked, do you guys think your relationship has improved from working together? Which we've touched on a little bit on this podcast, but I'm interested to get your take. I, I will not go as far to say improved. The, <laughs> the, the adjective I would use is changed. Our relationship has changed. Now, whether it's better or worse, I don't know if I can say at this point. Time will tell. But it has certainly changed. 
I miss the days of Davis Reed calling me just to check in. Right now, the now now you call to worry about who we're going to get this week or you know <laughs> what piece of content we're going to do next. It's changed, and you know if if that makes me soft that I miss the you know weekly check ins from my friend and not my business partner, then so be it. There are two sides to this because we have seen each other two to three times a month probably in 2021, which is amazing. Uh, we're getting to sport, spend more time together than ever because of this. So that's great. And that's helping the relationship. But on the flip side, you're right. I'm calling and oftentimes I'll even start the phone call with, hey, Davis Reed from the Longshot Pod calling here. Just to let you know, just so you know, I'm, I'm going to hit you with some business questions coming up because I care as you, about you as a person very much. That has not changed, but I can only get you on the phone so many times. So when I do, there are oftentimes Longshot Pod questions that need to be addressed. Yeah, it's just the the conversations have taken on a more transactional tone is is really what it boils down to in that every conversation you know you can't meander your way through a conversation and see what kind of rooms you walk into you know it's true yeah i don't get any like fun stories about this or that or or a honeymoon or whatever we just talk about the pod for about that's 80, not entirely 80, true about, i would say 85% of our conversations. So not just exclusively, yes, but that's fair. The, the vast majority. And now I understand the stakes are high for you, Dave. I get it. You put the job <laughs> on the line to, to, to go all in on this. And I got empathy for that. I tip my no. cap to you. Uh, and, and I want to make it work. So I'm, I'm rolling with the punches here. We trust the process. Uh, this, uh, we've, we've said it a hundred times. We'll say it 101. This is not a monetarily driven podcast. All right. I took the leap of faith knowing that it was a long game. I'm not getting anxious over here. So when I call to check in on you as a friend, I'm, I'm going to continue to do that. And I, I do that genuinely. I'm not doing that to you know mask the business questions that are inevitably going to follow. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. Um, I Nonetheless, I, I think the answer to your question, I can't remember who asked it since you've said it, is that it's, it's just changed. I don't know if it's improved, uh, but it's certainly changed. Okay, fine. I'll let that be. Next question comes from Team Marps, who asks, the funniest teammate ever. Who's your funniest teammate ever? This is another question that came from a ton of people. So I apologize if you asked and you're not getting the name credit. Team Marps, you won the, the contest of uh, the one that I selected to uh, write down here. Udonis Haslam is undoubtedly out there um solomon hill solo absolutely hilarious and brought a entirely different dynamic from a leadership perspective uh to our group as well um and and just was constantly cracking jokes there's a lot of different ways that, like james johnson hilarious um i'm trying to think of who else andre Iguodala, really funny dude so i mean there's a lot of different ways you could take it i think I'd be hard pressed to to say anybody else other than Udonis. I mean, I think he is he probably, you know, takes the cake with that just because I mean, we all saw a few episodes ago just how much he really brings it. Yeah, Solomon Hill, uh when you said him, it takes me to the uh popsicle pick that he posted on Instagram of you right after Atlanta uh beat you guys. You know, he's a for, like you said former teammate, so it's all in good fun, but he he, he posted a collage of pictures after the win documenting the game and the last one in the slideshow was uh you sucking on a popsicle no context really didn't really address it uh, but it was in there it was thrown in which i personally found hilarious the 
the most disheartening part of that was to see the rest of my own teammates in the comments <laughs> just having a field day with it. And mind you, it was a tough loss. I mean, that was a big like Eastern Conference matchup uh, towards the end of the season, and I shot like shit in the second half and I you know I was wearing it a little bit for sure and then of course the notification right as I'm getting on the plane pops up on my phone <laughs> Solomon Hill has tagged you in a post and I'm thinking maybe it's like a post-game embrace from two former teammates and friends and right uh you know him and I close friends been a mentor to me in in so many different ways and you know I get to the photo and and there it is it's uh it's it's me eating the popsicle which by the way i have not lived down and i take that one on the chest like i sure that, that was my own mistake outside of the fact that it was curated by somebody else who helps me out with my instagram i take that one on the chest so i'm not going to throw you under the bus entirely you know who you are and you're probably listening to this it was your fault and you know it was but i'll take it on the chest that's amazing we love outshine by the way big love outshine, outshine. Those bars are amazing. We're big Outshine guys. But I do have some beef with Outshine that they won't let you lean into the Popsicle Poppy moniker. I think that that could really help things take off for you. Just we're trying to build your personal brand. And I think Popsicle Poppy is something that we really should lean into because uh, you're you know now turning into the face of the Outshine bars. Well, first off, I, I love Outshine. Truthfully, they make fantastic bars. Uh, second, I believe it's like a trademark infringement because we asked about it after after I posted that one and it blew up the way that it did. I mean, the post kind of served its purpose from like a marketing standpoint. Like people were commenting on it like crazy and sharing it like crazy because it was just so ridiculous. But then it was like, right, I, I had a little thought to myself, like, let's just like totally lean into this. Um, and then it kind of got shot down. While we're talking about brands. I need to do right by a particular brand that I've slandered oh. on this on this podcast <laughs> many times. Um, American Airlines. <laughs> you know, you and I, we've had a little bit of a tumultuous relationship. We've had our ups. We've had our downs. When I slander you, when you deserve to be slandered, I then need to turn around and give you the love and recognition that you deserve when you perform at a high level. And I've flown American Airlines a lot in my life. And it would be unfair of me to just point out the negative. Have I pointed out the negative? Yes. Do I do it from an accountability standpoint? Yes. Now, with that being said, I, fl I flew it my entire pre-draft. I flew it my entire first year with the Heat back and forth from Sioux Falls because they had a corporate sponsorship. They were fantastic. I was, I was always taken care of. And I've actually, believe it or not, despite what I've said on this podcast, I've flown it since I you know, publicly held them accountable and they have delivered. So it would be wrong of me to continue to live my life without addressing the fact that American Airlines, way to step up. And I appreciate all that you're doing to get me from state to state, city to city. I'll tell you what, that felt genuine. Felt like it was coming from the heart. I think that was really beautiful. Look, if I have a bad day on the podcast, you're going to tell me about it. We got to hold each other accountable. Right. So just because we shouted them out a couple times in, an, in a you know uh, constructive criticism way, uh, that doesn't mean that we love them any less. And that's what it was. And I want everybody to know that. It was constructive criticism. Now, 
could we have mended this relationship a little bit quicker with maybe a you know a flight voucher or maybe an upgrade something sure. like that sure certainly could have they chose not to go that route i understand it but what they did choose to do was fall back on the fact that they felt that they were reliable more times than they would not be and yeah. i got to give them some credit the last you know 3 4 times i've flown them they've been reliable that's really great stuff i'll tell you what it seems like we're moving on uh, with a with a healthy relationship with American Airlines. All right, this next one can, comes from two people. Two people asked this separately, so I want to give them both love. Love, Jay Yao thirty five and Ryan Hooper both asked about your opinion on your two K player ratings. So, Dunk, I don't know if you've seen these yet, but I've got some of them up that I want to get your your opinion on. Uh, the first and probably most notable one, we shared this on our social media, is that you're a 90, I believe, three-point shooting, um, which puts you in the top five. You're tied for third with Joe Harris and Seth Curry. How do you feel about that? I think that's reasonable. I, I think it's a uh, it's growth, if you will, from Ronnie 2K. I mean, mind you... I was the worst player in the game, the entire game, my first year. I believe I was a 67 overall, and the yes. next closest was 69. So it wasn't which, even like a, I was a point off. Which we talked about with Kenny, um, yeah. and he agreed. He agreed that he didn't love that. He didn't love that, which I appreciated. Yeah, so I've, I've taken that slander, and I've learned from it. Um, you know, maybe that could create a roadmap for a particular uh, airline that we've recently um, alluded to. Not to rehash the American Airlines stuff. Uh, just kidding. American Airlines, you're doing great. But I started at 67. I think now what? I'm a 78 overall? Uh, 77, I believe. Oh. Ac according to this, according to a 2K rating site that I'm looking at. So 77 seems a touch low. I would... Right. Honestly, I would I would love 70, 79. I think that that's pretty fair. If I have a good start to the year, maybe bump me to 80. You know, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a stone's throw from 80. Um, but yeah, I mean, 90, I'll take tied for third for sure. I mean, of course, the competitive side of me thinks that I, I should be right up there with anybody, but it's a video game and Steph Curry probably deserves to be number one. I imagine yeah. what, Clay, Clay Thompson's too? I believe so. Um, and then the three of us are kind of clumped in there at, at number three. So I, I think it's a fair assessment at this point. What I don't love about 2K is how I move in 2K. I think they just do a really mm. bad job of simulating how I am as a player. Like I sprint and shoot my shots. And like when I'm playing, I haven't played with myself in 2K in a long time, but when I am, I haven't played 2K in a long time, but but when I play with myself, I like lumber up and down mm. the floor. Yeah, you got a little like, waddle to you too. And I'm like really slow moving and like I can't even get open, which is like, it's kind of my thing is like I'm able to get open. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense. It doesn't, like the gameplay doesn't translate. Wow, okay, fair enough. Well, look, this is just three-point shooting. I got a couple other things I want to ask you about here. Uh, you've got 90 hands. Hands are a 90. That which, seems right. yeah. I think that seems about right. Um, yeah. Which so so these are positive things. You got ninety shot IQ, which I also think is is probably about right. You seem to be uh, um, intelligent with your shot selection. I mean, I know my strengths and I try to play to them. How about this eighty five intangibles, which is pretty strong. Now I'm not entirely sure what intangibles covers. Uh, maybe this is off court. Uh, maybe this is you know voice um, way you dress. 
I'm not entirely a, sure. Maybe it's a loose ball. Maybe it's a batted out Ooh. rebound. Maybe it's a deflection. All sure. those things. I think those are the intangibles. Do you put your fing- fingerprints on a game? I think it's yeah. a good depiction of, of where I stand. I really do. All right, I'm done with the positive. Let's get to some of the bad ratings. And some of these I disagree with. I just want to be clear. For instance, your help defense IQ is a 50, which is red. That's bad. And I I actually think you do a pretty good job of being in the right spot. We've talked at length about how your on-ball defending maybe sometimes isn't the strongest. But I'll tell you what, you always seem to be in the right position. So the 50 uh, defensive IQ, I don't love. Yeah, I don't love that either. I would definitely push back on that one. Um, I don't know what my overall defensive rating is, but I would argue that my help defense raises my defensive ability, not brings it down. So well, unless unless I'm below a fifty defensively, oh dear, am I? So get this: you're forty-seven defending, oh, but dear. your highest defending. Uh, rating is lateral quickness 65 that's bringing all boats up all boats rise with a 65 lateral quickness but what i'm curious about is like you gotta you gotta provide some context so like where do i fall amongst other players because it's like maybe 65 is legitimately the worst in the league sure sure sure, sure. No, th- these are fair these are fair questions let's just who do we want to use as a comp let's uh how about we go to how about we go to moritz wagner yeah, sure. Just a random NBA player. There you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just someone somebody that, that we have no personal yeah, yeah, yeah. ties or connections to. His lateral quickness is a forty-seven. So, do we think that you're, you move, you're moving a lot more uh, quickly laterally than he is? I mean, I'm sure Mo would definitely dispute that, but I think it's right where it needs to be. Or maybe we maybe we quickly move over to like a, a Pat Connaughton. Love it. You know, who's his uh, is going to be higher. I mean, his he, is going to yeah. be. It's He's a good defender. In the seventies, eighties, seventy-four. So I'll tell you what: sixty-five is not great, but it's not that far behind a seventy-four. I'm, I'm after this. I'm going to get off my soapbox, but I think that the Ronnie Two K stuff and like so much of that is just arbitrary. Like he makes a decision on okay, the overalls, who's better than who, and who's better than whom. Sorry for uh, you know, all you English majors out there. And then he just finds ways to get me to a 77. So he picks like my main attributes, my shooting, this, this, and this. And then he fills out the rest of the puzzle from there. It's got to be because there's no, it doesn't make sense. My hands are a 90, so it, it raises me from a 76 to a 77. It's sure. got to be. Sure. And the intangibles, I think, is probably a, a perfect example of that. All right, I'm, I'm kind of done with this, but let's go two more just because I want to address them. Strength is a 35, which is embarrassingly low. The disrespect. Pass vision is a 35. Another one that I really disagree with. You're very good at coming off that handoff, the dump down, the over the top. You're throwing lobs. I just, I think pass vision should be higher. Look, this episode has been all about accountability. (laughs) And now I'm going to hold Ronnie 2K accountable. Ronnie, we got to watch some more game film. It's just as simple as that. Uh, and it's not even about me. I, w- I wouldn't even, my the thesis of my argument would not be about me. There's so many examples of 2K just not doing their due diligence. Um, not to sound like one of those like haters, because I know everyone's out there doing their best, but you know, accountability is important. This next question comes from Tay Reed one who asks, what are the relationships between players and the media like? And Dunk, you sort of toe both these lines now. 
we've made it very clear we are not standard media, but we are doing a podcast, which puts us a little bit into that category. Uh, but what is that relationship you find like between players and the media? This is a loaded question um, because there's several ways to answer it depending on who you're referring to in the media. Now, there are journalists or reporters or whatever that are kind of like gotcha journalists and they're looking for a soundbite. They're looking for a headline. They're looking for retweets, something that they can fire off, you know, a 40 character tweet and make some noise, gain some clicks. Those ones I think are pretty universally kind of like players are kind of bothered by. Now, I've experienced this with this podcast in that I've experienced it in a different way, and, I, and I'm not coming at anyone in particular, um, but people have written articles off of sound bites that I've used in my podcast, and they've been taken out of context. Now, there have also been reporters that have reached out to me that, now granted, I have a relationship with those people, so it's a little bit different, but they've reached out to me and asked me to clarify context or said, hey, do you mind if I use this? And uh, you know, I'll, I'll be sure to provide the full context in which you spoke of it in. And that is like so much more appreciated because I think once you start to fracture that relationship with being strategic over how information is used, then you're running a slippery slope of you're more likely than not going to block players off from wanting to speak to you. And I think that when you have conversations and we do like Zooms now, mostly when we have these Zooms, it's like, you kind of begin to feel out like, okay, who's who's like actually interested in writing a story here and who's kind of looking for to kind of walk you into a corner um, and, and get a headline from it. It's an advantage that I think we have doing this podcast is that you know what that's like. And so it's a very, very, uh, it's a very important point of emphasis that we take that we never want to be gotcha media we want to sit down with people and have honest conversations and just kind of help share their story. And so that's something that I've really enjoyed uh, being a part of this. But I will say, as we've touched on, I am more monetarily driven with this podcast than you are. So there is this point, there's like a little bit of a line every week that is interesting to tow because we obviously want our content to get out there. We want as many people to watch and tune in as possible. That's just, you know, we want the we want the content out there. That's just the the fact of the matter. But we never want to be gotcha media. So it's always finding this line of like, wh- what can we say that are gonna that's gonna get people to tune in, but still make sure we're telling the right story and shining things in the right light and never uh, taking people's words out of context. Yeah. And I think you said, I think the worst thing is when, and it's happened to us a couple of times is when we have a guest on and they say something because, you know, I think we have a more comfortable kind of, uh, you know, conversation to us that I think players are more likely to disclose things to us that they wouldn't necessarily in media. And then you get other media outlets using those words in kind of a different right. context. And, and then it ends up kind of falling back on us. We've, we've had to cut stuff because we feel like it might get taken in the wrong way or this or that. So it's like you said, it's definitely a line you want to walk of having interesting, engaging conversation without exposing anybody uh, or leaving somebody kind of out to dry. Uh, let's go last question here. I think we've been going for a little under an hour. Uh, that, fe- that feels about right. So last question comes from Nathan Huang who asks us, what songs or artists have you worked into your rotation this summer? So, Dunk, I'm interested. Who are you listening to at the moment? So, 
the find of the summer has been Tom Mish for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, shout out to shout out to Mike G for that. You put me on to Tom Mish. He's fantastic. Uh, I listened to a lot of that style of music this summer, the kind of like laid back kind of R&B singer songwriter type vibe. Well, you were um, an L.A. guy. You were an L.A. guy this summer. So that makes sense. Well, I think it just kind of more fits kind of my, my personality as well. Mac Ayers is another one that I've been listening to. Um, also classic, like more kind of like solely R&B, like Georgia Smith. Her, I'm a big fan of. We've talked about her on here. Ella May, we've talked about her on here. Um, that's kind of been like my rotation. Now, I think that's all going to change here pretty soon. Sounds like we got some some big time albums dropping. Uh, obviously, Kanye with uh with donda and then drake with certified lover boy and i also heard kendrick lamar is kind of in the mix here Ooh. as well to drop something um and then also i i've always listened to jack harlow huge jack harlow fan um obviously his new stuff but i still like prefer listening to his old stuff um more than his new stuff but that's kind of my my rotation right there to, to keep it simple a couple follow-ups for you first this actually let's just let's just tackle it because you went there question that we got was if Kanye and Drake dropped on the same day, who are you going to first? It depends what I'm doing when they drop. Ooh. If okay. I, give, if, give me the environment for each. If I'm working out or I'm driving in the car or I'm doing some sort of activity, I'm listening to Drake. Okay. Cause Drake's Drake's just kind of got those granted. Now certified lover boy might take on a different tone based off of the title, but nonetheless, like Drake is going to have hits. And not to say that he doesn't have like lyrics and like introspective thoughts, because I think he does. But if I'm just like chilling at my house, like by myself or, you know, just like whatever lounging, I'm probably going to put on Kanye because he's going to have like the deep kind of like sentimental, uh, the Easter eggs and the lyrics, like all that. Oh. Thing. Oh, what do what did you just say? Like, I got to run that back. Like that sort of thing um, where you can really listen to what he's saying that I'm going to do Kanye. So that's kind of a bullshit answer because I answered it out of both sides of my mouth, but that's what I got. What about you? What do you, what do you bump first? Classic. You're pretty good at that. I I'm going Drake first. Like you said, Drake's a little poppier uh, just to keep up with the times. I feel like you need to listen to Drake's right away. Uh, just because there's kind of a race in in the uh, culture to like hop on board of Drake just because everyone listens to him. So I'm going to listen to him first just so I can, I like Drake a lot. Uh, I listen to old Drake more than probably anything else. But I'm, so this might sound disrespectful, but it's not meant to be. I'm going to listen to Drake first just to sort of like get it over with, just to say I listen to it. I'll probably go back to it a lot, but then I'm going to sit down and like take some time to go through Donda. You know, so I'm with you. Drake first, uh, actually you kind of, bullshitted your answer but i think i'm likely going drake first and then i'm really taking time maybe even lighting a candle sitting down uh taking a few deep breaths before i put on donda wow thanks for painting a picture for us i also want to say summer rotation i almost forgot dermot kennedy uh he's probably he's top five for sure for me um and he's always in the rotation but uh talk about some soulful music huh i am so glad you said this because i don't think we've talked about this on this podcast but you almost missed my rehearsal dinner, of which you were in the wedding. You were a groomsman. You wanted to leave the rehearsal dinner early because you thought Dermot Kennedy was in Kansas City and you wanted to go see him. Don't do not do this. Don't try to throw me under the bus on this. It was a thought that I had that if the rehearsal dinner ended on the earlier end of things, I wanted to see if I could still catch his concert at some arena in Missouri. And it ended up being a non-issue. You know why, Dave? Because I'm somehow illiterate, and he was in Kansas City the following weekend. Yeah. So I'm I glad made you it, said that. 
I made it an entire thing when it was really a non-issue the entire time. I'm glad you took accountability. I thought you were going to say, ended up being a non-issue and I went to the rehearsal dinner. Yeah, the only reason you did is because you had the wrong weekend. Had he actually been playing that Saturday night, I think you would have taken off about nine, which, you know, I would have let you do, but I would have had a, a little resentment. So I'm glad you came clean. Why can't you do both? Why can't you be there for your friend at his rehearsal dinner, you know, with bells on, have a fantastic dinner, hang around for a little bit, and then as everyone starts to part ways, you know, go off and, and have a great time at a Dermot Kennedy concert, catch the tail end of his set. What's the matter with that? I was still gonna be, I was still gonna be there the next morning, suit and tie, dressed to the nines for the big day, which I was, mind you. Yeah, you looked great. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll say we we just talked about this. We've seen each other more than ever. So it would have been fine. I, I was going to see you a couple weeks uh, later. I'd seen you a couple weeks before. I'm getting enough Duncan Robinson. I'm kind of sick of you. So I think it would have been okay. Well, yeah. I, I would have loved if Terman was, was in Kansas City that evening, but unfortunately he wasn't. Uh, anyways, do we got anything else or are we done here? Yeah, I mean, are you going to let me answer the, the last question? We got sidetracked with Kanye versus Drake, but my people who have worked their way into my rotation this summer, I got two albums for you. Okay, Dunk? If you haven't listened to these yet, you need to. First is Lord, Solar Power. Great album. Unbelievable album. Take a listen to it. Second, Snow Allegra, Temporary Highs in the Violet Skies. Another an amazing album. I need you to check both those out. So I like Snow Allegra. I've listened to some stuff by Lord, but this is just such classic Davis of like, I need to come up with something off the beaten path. No, I need to I'm be, listening to both those albums. That's a fact. I need to be this profound, thought-provoking thinker about you know some Don't artist that. that, and it's just like, dude, like it's okay to just be, you know, to just be like right down the middle and just say like, yeah, I've listened to a bunch of Drake this summer or J Cole. Like that's okay. You don't always just have to be this like, you know, diamond in the rough guy. Don't do that. I have admitted, I just admitted, I listen to a lot of old Drake. That takes up the majority of my playlist. Like if I'm working out uh, or if I'm just chilling, I'm going take care. I'm going nothing was the same. I listen to a lot of old J. Cole. Okay. I listen to a lot of old Kanye. So that's my issue is I'm listening to a lot of stuff that's been out for a while. So when it comes to new music, I'm only going and it's only getting my attention if it's stuff that's like a little different or it's going to you know attract my attention and snow allegra or maybe it's allegra alexa says allegra i don't know which one it is but snow and lord both had albums that i was interested to check out they were both really good i'm also dunk i know the people that listen to this podcast listen to drake okay i'm trying to give them something that they can check out that maybe they wouldn't otherwise all right that that i can get on board with i guess um all right, well, I think that wraps it up for the mailbag. Is that, is that pretty much everything? I think so. This was fun. Uh, we went for an hour. I'm kind of done talking to you, so it's a good time to end it, but I had a good time. No, I'm, I'm definitely done. But no, this was, this was good. Like we said, we talked about doing mailbags every roughly 10 episodes, which we've held onto. We've, we did episode nine, episode 23, and now episode 30. So three in our first 30. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, man, I had a blast. I think we'll do a fourth by episode 40. Love the sound of that and uh, love the sound of potentially being back in person next week. So stay tuned for that. Uh, appreciate you guys. As always, as we've alluded to several times, the Longshot Podcast is on the up and up and you to guys the are a huge part of it. So appreciate all the support and we'll see you next week. Thank you.